If you change your mind, take a chance. On the first in line, take a chance. Honey, I'm still free. Take a chance on me. If you need me, let me know. Gonna be around. If you got your place to go. All right, we are back with another edition of the K Raj podcast. My friend Roger Munter here alongside myself, Carrie Crowley, and Roger. Uh, I think since the last time we talked, the Giants have managed to even not claim someone on waivers. So the offseason has grinded to a halt here. It, it It's speeding past us at a rapid pace, is Carrie. <laughs> you know what I did today, uh, though? I bought tickets to the, uh, to the Giants A's uh, prospect spring training game. Um, yes. which just warm, warms you up all over. So I'm, I'm ready for, I'm ready for spring to start, even if the uh, Giants roster <laughs> is maybe not. Um, I want to, uh, oh, Hey, can you, do you mind if I take a, a, a detour into our show today? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. I, I just wanted to sing a quick song of praise. I don't know why I never put this together. Uh, but Sean Purdy, Brock Purdy's father, longtime minor league, uh, relief pitcher he pitched three years in the giant system played for ron wotus for two years was teammates with with uh, rich aurelia and sean estes and russ ortiz and bill miller long time i mean this guy's like a pillar of san francisco sports so uh, <laughs> it is fitting that uh, his son has become now a, a bay area icon good for absolutely sean absolutely i didn't realize that sean purdy had that extensive experience in the giants farm system and played with such uh, such talented players. I, I just assume that, you know, he had a flyer here, a flyer there, and was out of minor league baseball. No, he was at a perfect time that uh, wow. he played two years in, in Shreveport and a big wave of talent coming up. Uh, one of the better talents uh, waves we've had, actually, in the Giants for, for years. And I didn't realize he'd played for well, but he played for him uh, both AA and AAA. So, yeah. Good giant. Cool. good giant, good yeah, giant. Yeah. <laughs> Sean Purdy, a good giant. All those photos of Brock Purdy at the ballpark last year; those are real. He's a diehard Giants fan. It's in his blood. That's right. I think you need to get quotes from from Estes yeah. and Aurelia on their on their memories of his dad. That's really good stuff. So, where should we where should we go today? Yeah, I really go. i I really want to hear about your conversation with Kyle Harrison, which I, I it was up past my bedtime here on the East Coast, so I didn't get I didn't listen to it. How did that all come about? And and uh, you know, how's Kyle sound? Uh, he's getting ready for the camp. Yeah, so a little inside radio, inside baseball scoop here with the Kyle Harrison interview that aired, I think it was 7.35 Pacific time on Thursday night. So during the offseason, I host the Giants Hot Stove Show on KMBR, which is every week, 7 to 8 o'clock. You basically do two interviews, one with a player, one with a coach. And we're really struggling to pin someone down on Thursday to do an interview. And all of a sudden, I get a text from a Giants media relations director, and it says, well, I've got someone for you, but you'd have to do the interview right away. And this is, I think, 3.30 in the afternoon on Thursday. And I go, okay, let's do it. Who is it? And he goes, Kyle Harrison. And I go, okay, <laughs> I am absolutely <laughs> ready to go. You know, uh, not not to throw any shade at the back end of the Giants roster, but usually if you've been claimed on waivers for a day or two, you might be the first candidate to have to sit on the radio with me <laughs> on a Thursday night. So uh, we got Kyle Harrison on his way into the Bay Area for, for the Giants Hot Stove, or not just the Giants Hot Stove show, but the Giants Fan Fest in San Jose on Saturday. So he had right. just flown in for that and had the opportunity to ask him all about uh, his off-season preparation and 
working with Logan Webb, his mentality going into the season. And Roger, this does not sound like someone who is going to be fighting for a roster spot. Kyle Harrison sounds like someone who he knows he's going to be counted on to pitch big time innings for the San Francisco Giants. And he's talking about working with Logan Webb to have the mentality of going six innings every time he takes the ball. I think that those two have been in lockstep all offseason, which is great news for Giants fans. He's training really hard this offseason. He's working on his pitch mix, different breaking ball, that sort of a thing, which, you know, every pitcher tweaks things during the offseason and they come back to often what they've always relied on during spring training as they head into the season, but sounded really determined, really motivated, and basically everything you would expect from someone, but almost a step ahead of where you would expect Kyle Harrison to be. It was not someone who was, hey, I made my debut. I'm happy to be here. I reflected on it. How great. It's going to be tough to keep this up for another year. It was, okay, I've got that behind me. There's so much more to accomplish. And I think that that was my biggest takeaway from talking to Kyle is just like the poise beyond his years. And you told me ahead of time that, that that's kind of the way that he sounds. And so I guess it shouldn't come as a surprise to you. No, I mean, there are older pitchers than Harrison coming up behind him who aren't nearly as advanced as he is mentally or as mature. He he just has always sort of had this mindset that was beyond his ages. Uh, I was really interested to hear you talk about the work he's doing with Webb, particularly the, the, the peak, peak performance uh, sort of motion, uh, you know, how do you make your body move in space, which is such a critical part of being a, an athlete. So I'm really interested to see how that, how that manifests itself with, with, with Kyle, because, you know, part of developing command, which is still that hurdle for him is really body control, right? So yeah. learning to control your body. I remember when I, he was 19 and I talked to him and he'd suddenly gotten all this velocity and he just didn't know what to do with it. He's like, my body's just sort of flying around in space. Um, you know, a lot of growth happens <laughs> between 18 and, and 22. Um, and I think we're going to see him get stronger and better body control and better command. Uh, but I want to go back to you're talking about he's not fighting for a position. Yeah. That's true of a lot of young players on this <laughs> roster right now. As, as, and again, we're not, there's a lot of players out there on the market, but two weeks from camp, and I just look at this roster and there's just this unbelievable amount of built in risk right now. As I mean, I, I love me some Kyle Harrison. I love Tristan Beck, Kyle Wynn, you know, but these guys are going to be asked to cover, you know, hundreds and hundreds of innings. Marco Luciano with his 220 batting average in double A, it's going to be asked to cover a lot of plate appearances. Uh, young Ho Lee coming over from Korea. I mean, it's just like every level of this roster is a giant risk rocket. And you just look at it and say, is it, are the playoffs really is it playoff or bust really or is this a let's see what sticks let's develop this year see what sticks and build it around it a year from now it's it's hard to figure out i i think i guess the business aspect of my brain thinks well it's got to be playoff or bust because the giants have missed the postseason in back-to-back years fans are becoming disengaged with the ball club it's tougher to sell tickets at oracle park there was just a real lull during the second half of last season where uh, this team just lacked excitement. And yes, they were bringing up rookies, they were bringing up kids, but it takes a bit for those guys to stick, to figure out who you've got, to figure out what can stick at the major league level in terms of the tools, in terms of who needs to maybe go back to AAA and harness a few things. And 
I would have expected, I guess the business part of my brain would have expected the Giants to lean in on certainty this offseason to say, okay, we know that we need a middle of the order bat and we need 200 innings coming from the rotation at minimum. So we're going to look into Blake Snell. We're going to look into Matt Chapman, uh, Reese Hoskins, someone who can hit for some power. And they will provide that. We'll look into someone who can give you the innings that you need. And Blake Snell was never going to be a 200-inning guy, but at least gives you 32 starts a year where you're getting close to a quality start. And they could still sign those guys, but they have leaned into the uncertainty this offseason where there was this element at play where it was like, okay, it, the good business side of baseball is to just add some certainty and, you know, get fans excited about the offseason additions. And I think that they've leaned into the player development aspect of their organization where they are going to see exactly what they have in this next core. And if this next core is not it, Roger, I don't know that this uh, that this whole Giants plan is it. Like, I don't know if Greg Johnson, if Arhan Zaidi, if Bob Melvin, I don't know who sticks if this next core is not it because they've pushed in so many chips on these guys right now. Yeah, I, I just have my my normal, my regular, there are Giants podcasts I, I had this week, uh, uh, GPT, the famous Giants Twitter personality. Yes. And we were we were kind of talking about Luciano. And he said, yeah, I mean, if this if the Luciano Matas, if these guys don't become what they're supposed to be, then suddenly you're looking, you're waiting on Bryce Eldridge and Rainer Arias. And if that's the case, you're probably waiting on a new regime. Um, yeah. Because this is it. The guys who are ready for the majors, are the guys who debuted last year. There's there's not another group behind that. Um, and yet you can see, I mean, you want to re-engage the fan base? Kyle Harrison, you know, strikes out 200 people or whatever. Marco Luciano hits 25 homers. Tyler Fitzgerald belting the ball all over the place and running like crazy. That will, like uh, Lee, you know, hitting 320 and whacking balls everywhere in the, in the alley. Fans will get excited about that. Oh, yeah. If it hits, <laughs> but projecting on all of that happening in a rookie in rookie seasons, that's uh, that's a long shot. I mean, well, that's a lot has to go right. I, I remember at the beginning of the offseason, I said, OK, hiring Bob Melvin is a great first step, but it's got to be step one of 50. And then I said, OK, signing Jung-Hoo Lee, I think, is a great second step, but it's got to be step two of maybe, OK, you've maybe shortened your list to about 45 and now they seemingly have about 40 boxes still to check and they're going to find out because everything on this team is a what if right now. Yeah. Every portion of this roster, every part of the lineup, the rotation, even the bullpen with some veteran arms because bullpens are what ifs every single season. It's all a what if about the San Francisco Giants right now. <laughs> it's shocking to me that you can head into a 2024 season with as much riding on this year as the Giants do, knowing that fans are ready to see a talented team again, knowing that fans need to see a winner again, or they're not going to show up and have so many what if and questions about your squad. It's it's a gamble of proportions I never expected them to take. What's, uh, what's kind of shocking to me is I, you're not even leavening all this young player risk with a little bit of veteran certainty. All the veterans, I mean, Lamont Wade Jr. has been uh, incapacitated for a year and a half for the last two years. Mike Yastrzemski has got yast hamstrings made of peanut brittle these days. Uh, Michael Conforto, you know, doesn't seem to have recovered from the shoulder surgery that well. Ray and Cobb are going to be gone for half a year. It's like the young people are risky and the old people are risky, which is yeah. amazing. 
you could legitimately get to a point this season where if all the old guys get injured and the young guys don't pan out, I think the Giants set at the time what was a national league record for 64 players used in 2019. Yeah. I mean, the worst case scenario looks like they're using 65 to 70 players this year because the worst case scenario is I, I think it can flash in front of our brains so quickly because – We've seen prospects not pan out before, and that's not to take away from the excitement that all these kids have. I mean, I look, look at the photos of Luis Matos. The guy's clearly been in the weight room this offseason. Yep. You think yep. about Elliot Ramos potentially finally getting his opportunity. You think about Keaton Wynn, Tristan Beck, and Kyle Harris embracing the 140-150 inning threshold this year, and that's all great, but it's like, my goodness, it's very easy to foresee a 65 to 70 win season and much harder to see a 90 plus win season with the current squad that they have. Yeah. And um, what's bad about, I, I, I was trying to do two things at once here and see how <laughs> many players the Diamondbacks had last year, because they ran through an awful lot of young players um, as they were trying to figure out on that, yeah, they came close to 60 last year as they were really using the minor league. The thing about that 2019 team and, and I think 2022, they fair, came scarily close to that number again, is when you're getting like 60 people or 65 people, whatever, it's not your prospects necessarily. It's exactly, you know, there's, there's a lot of Kevin Padlow, um, and, and, the, uh, the guy, the guy who I'll use in that, that situation is Casey Kelly. Casey <laughs> Kelly, because it was like 2018, the Giants didn't have a farm system and they weren't good. And so Hank Shulman and I in the press box in the months of June and July, we were tracking Casey Kelly starts at AAA Sacramento saying, when are you going to give this guy an opportunity? And he wasn't a prospect. I mean, he was well past the point where he was going to be a valuable major leaguer, but you knew at some point Casey Kelly was going to be getting that call to the big leagues. And so you don't want to be in that scenario because you just said it. If you get past a certain point, you're not calling up a, a Rainer Arias or a Bryce Eldridge. You are, <laughs> you're calling on Kevin Padlow and Mike Ford and, you know, whoever Jerry DePoto can pawn off on you the next day. That's right. That's right. Speaking of, Hey, speaking of Jerry DePoto pawning people off, our good friend, Anthony DiScofani is on the move again. Um, and for a guy we talked about a little bit in this, in this podcast, um, as we continue our search for middle infield depth, what did you think of that that uh, Twins-Mariners deal yesterday? I actually really liked it for both teams. I, I really liked it for both teams because I believe the Mariners gave up Caballero in the deal to get Luke Rayleigh with the Tampa Bay right. Rays, and so they kind of needed middle infield help. And so Jorge Polanco's been a great player. Aaron Gleeman of The Athletic, who's respect, whose work I really respect, he said that Polanco might be the most underrated twins player of their target field era, which is going on 10 plus years now. And he's, he's good. And the twins got guys in return who might help them. They got Topa who's at the back end of the bullpen. They got two prospects, including a top 100 guy who, you know, projects as someone who can help them this year. And Di Sclafani is a total lottery ticket, but they got the deal covered in cash so they can reinvest that into their team and potentially get better. And I don't know that, Jorge Polanco was going to be the the missing piece that the Twins needed, but he might make the Mariners a, a lot better this year. So an, another deal where, look, teams are active in the trade market. They're starting to be moves, and you wonder, are the Giants one of those teams who could pull off a deal where they actually get someone who is definitively going to be in the opening day mix other yeah. than someone like a Robbie Ray, who you know is out until at least July. And we don't know if he will ever throw a pitch in a Giants uniform if something goes wrong 
with his Tommy John surgery recovery. Yeah, and I mean, Polanco maybe is, wasn't a perfect fit. He's he's not a great no. defender at shortstop, but he's you know he's a switch hitter. He can he can kind of play shortstop. He can play second base. He's a good hitter. He's a very good offensive player. Um, and I don't know. I, I'm not sure what the Giants could have done that matched this. I guess Louis Matos is as close as you can come to a Gabby Gonzalez comp. He's a a, a little bit older. I don't know that it, it works for the Giants, and yet it's another. It's like the dominoes keep falling, and they keep not quite getting it right. Well, he, yeah. Here's the other thing. So Reese Hoskins signs with the Brewers. That doesn't. That means Milwaukee's not trading Corbin Burns or mm-hmm. Willie Adamas this offseason. You know, if, yeah. if they get someone who can help them, they're going to at least wait it out till the trade deadline. So these dominoes do continue to fall, and I think they're going to continue to the point where. It's just the Boris guys where it's just a Blake Snell and just a Matt Chapman and the Giants going to meet the price because it's anyone's guess at this point. Yeah, it is. I mean, Justin Turner goes to the Blue Jays. Uh, I mean, it really feels like Chapman should be an inevitability. And there's clearly a game of chicken going on between uh, the Giants and, and Boris on that. I think we both talk about wanting them to be bold and I, you know, from the outside, it's really easy to blur that line between boldness and recklessness and, and you don't want them to be reckless. Um, But it just, it just seems like Matt Chapman has to happen. He's, you know, (laughs) he's such a good player. He's such a solid baseline on defense. He gives you power, which this team really needs. I mean, if you wanted to point at one reason why they had the season they did last year, it's that home runs dried up. And so far this year, they've mostly seen home runs leave the building. They're not seeing any come into the building. Uh, getting yeah. power from somewhere is going to be important this this year. Exactly. And it's it's interesting because Chapman's not the guy who's going to hit 30 for you. He's not the guy who's going to perennially you know hit 35 or 40. It's... You're more like you're probably working with the baseline of 17 to 25 over the next four seasons, but the Giants can't pass up 17 to 25 home run power. They're at the point where they're desperate for that type of a hitter. <laughs> right now, it's like, you know, you're banking on Mike Yastrzemski to hit 20. You're banking on Michael Conforto to come back and hit 20 for you this season. And if that doesn't happen, we're talking about a team that could... I don't know, finish with fewer than 150, 175 home runs. I mean, we're talking about uh, the era where the Giants just didn't hit home runs. And the post-Bonds era where they were still really good because they're pitching, you know, they were still, in my opinion, fun to watch even before they won that 2010 World Series because you had Linscombe, you had Kane, you had Bumgarner coming through the system. But it's just, it is such an odd dynamic to see the way that they've gone about this offseason, the way that they talked a really big game, Farhan Zaidi in particular, at the beginning of the offseason. Now it's like, well, we, we don't necessarily have to add another starter, and there's just no rumors surrounding them and, and a bat right now. So I don't know. Do, do you see – how do you see these final few free agents unfolding? Blake Snell, Cody Bellinger, Matt Chapman. We've addressed Matt Chapman. We both think he's going to be a giant, but – where does Snell sign? Where does Bellinger sign? It doesn't look like uh, there was um, an article. It was uh, your colleague, Ken Rosenthal, wrote an article huh? um, recently in The Athletic about how this offseason is similar in many ways to the 2018 
off season, which also was really slow and had a lot of people still out there at this point in the year. And one of the similarities he drew was that Boris had the top four free agents on the market. And the top four of that year were Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakis, Jake Arrieta, and J.D. Martinez. And I said, man, if that is not an object lesson for people who are negotiating for these players right now, because I think that's probably a pretty similar group. Someone's yeah. gonna someone is gonna get stuck. Well, someone's gonna have a pillow contract. At least one of these guys is gonna have a pillow contract. Someone's gonna get stuck with an ugly contract, maybe multiple someone's. Um Montgomery makes the most sense to go back to the Rangers, but they've got the TV uncertainty. I mean, the problem with Montgomery is he's a guy, he's always he's been a below average strikeout pitcher yeah. who wants ace money. And those two things don't go together very well. Um I think there are lots of reasons to be concerned with Snell. I always wondered if, if Philadelphia might be an interesting landing place for Snell because they've got Wheeler in his walk year. So creating some redundancy or, or a, a pillow there might work, but I, it just sounds like the markets for these guys, Boris's price is so far beyond where everybody's comfortable because all of those guys have red flags. And they're being signed to contracts or they're being asked for contracts that are not red flag contracts. (laughs) I don't know how it works out. I think it ends up with some some various kind of pillow opt outy kind of deal somewhere. But yeah, I don't understand why Bellinger just doesn't go back to the Cubs. I mean, that seemed to be a good fit at the team that you kind of be on the rise. Um, He can play first base with PCA there now. That makes the most sense to me. Snell, boy, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know where and where his spot is. It's hard to see. It is hard to see where his spot is right now. It really is. I, the Baltimore Orioles could go, what, one year, 40 million with Blake Snell? <laughs> just get that out of the way right now. Just say, <laughs> hey, we're, we're contending with you and that's it. I mean, uh, there's some there, there could be some potentially really odd fits because of the teams that don't want to spend. It seems amazingly so that the Giants might not be comfortable spending, even though they should. Uh, the Red Sox are just seemingly out on everyone. If the Rangers don't like what they have in their TV revenue, they wouldn't bring back Montgomery. I mean, you're talking about Cody Bellinger and Blake Snell accepting $150 million less than, than what they did. I, I don't think that'll be the case, but it could be a really crazy final few days of free agency. Yeah, it's just you look at the – you look at the names on the board and I just, I don't know who's spending, especially the pitchers. I don't know who's spending that money. Um, if it's not going to be the Yankees and it's not going to be the Phillies. I mean, these are the guys who who have the big checkbooks. I mean, the Orioles one year, 10 million, maybe sounds like an Orioles contract, but <laughs> 40. Um, yeah. And I guess if you're, if you're farhand, what you're doing is looking for bargains. You're looking for someone to blink on February 20th. Um, and maybe get a, you know, there's gotta be an opt-out deal. He, a player yeah. option deal he can sign with somebody. Oh yeah. There's, there's, they're going to be the first team to sign a, a guy to a minor league contract <laughs> with a player option. <laughs> they're going to be like, you know, Adalberto Mondesi one year, 11 million, but it's a team team option. And you're on that first year at one, one year, 1.5 in the minors. That's going to be the deal. Okay, I want to ask you the basically the same question I asked GPT the other day. Putting aside all of the free agents and all that, we know that Farhan can build kind of depth on a roster. But as far as doing what they have said they wanted to do, which is build a club, which is sort of sustainably compatible, 
is in the mix for the hunt every year. Is there a path to this club getting where they want to be that does not include Marco Luciano being an above average shortstop? It would have to include a massive leap from either Tyler Fitzgerald or Casey Schmidt, and then probably adding a Matt Chapman. I, I don't think you can. I don't think you can have a real if you don't hit on at least one or two of those guys being big time contributors. I, I think like. At minimum, you're going to need one person to just lock down the everyday shortstop job by by May, and it could be it could be Schmidt, it could be Tyler Fitzgerald, it should be Luciano, but it it'd be really tough to count on twenty two year old guy with thirty nine major league at bats to just suddenly come <laughs> up and take that. So, I you're looking at a long shot, but that would be the path right there, right? It, or am I missing a a clear way? Is it? You know, just Keaton Wynn, Tristan Beck, and Kyle Harris and Mason Black being lights out in the rotation all year? I mean, I understand wanting to build around the pitching, although I think as as good as 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 this sort of wave of talent is, I don't know that you're predicting, you know, the 2010 Philly staff, you know, suddenly, <laughs> you know, coming up from Sacramento. But, but they still have to have offense. I mean, the offense has really tanked the last couple of years. They need two or three guys who are like 120 weighted runs created plus type players. They've got yeah. to have at least, I think, two or three of these guys have got to be well above average major league hitters for this to, to go forward. Because it can't obviously be Mitch Hanniger and, and, and Michael Cafortos every year trying to put the puzzle together. And I, I mean, certainly you want Lee to be what the projections say he is and what he was in, in Korea. That's, that's going to help. Um, yeah. Patrick Bailey taking a step forward and being at least average would really help. Um, I, don't, I don't know if there's a lot of seeing above that, but they need more than that. They need an impact bat to come from this system because I don't know that they're going to sign an impact bat. So outside of Luciano, who's the best candidate right now to be that impact bat? Is it Schmidt? Is it Fitzgerald? Uh, you know, Luis Matos, Wade Meckler, someone who I'm not currently thinking of, like maybe a Von Brown comes on to the radar during spring training and and just he becomes your everyday left fielder at some point during the middle of the season. Uh, who could be that impact bat if it's not Marco? I mean, Brown has the ability to impact the baseball more than anybody else um yeah there's a lot of swing and miss in his game and of course you know he's he's had some health problems the last those year and a half um i i mean I, to me it, it's it's luciano then it's matos in a different way after after you leave matos it, it, everybody else becomes a bit of a a cinderella story to get there um Casey Schmidt can hit the ball hard. Okay, Casey Schmidt has really good bat to ball skills, but I'd kind of line him up the way the way you would back in their prospect days. You know, Luciano was a star prospect. Matos yeah. was a really, really, really good you know top hundred prospect. Casey Schmidt was kind of a fringe top hundred prospect, and Tyler Fitzgerald is is you know the the Cinderella story kind of coming up from behind. Uh, that's how I'd put him in line of impact. Is you know impact can come from Luciano's bat, but it's high variance um matos 
is low variance, but the impact might not be there. And after that, stars have to align. Is it concerning to you that the year is 2024 and the prospects we're talking about in terms of basically deciding the Giants season from an offensive standpoint with Marco Luciano and Louis Matos being the first two players in that category being Bobby Evans guys. Should we only be talking about Farhan Zaidi guys? Does that matter? You're the farm system expert. And so I, I genuinely don't know how to feel about something like this, but I do know that you've spent so much time covering the Giants player development system. So I'd be curious to hear what you say about that. It's not concerning to me that they're Bobby Evans guys, because there is a long, long lead time in prospect development. And and obviously, you know, Patrick Bailey is a, is a is a farhand pick. Casey Schmidt's a farhand pick. Uh, Tyler yeah. Fitzgerald. These these guys all were were picked un, under farhand. I don't really think they care about that, and I don't think player development people care about that. They care about making people better. What concerns me is that Joey Bart was the second overall pick in the draft and was a top twenty guy, and we're about to the end of his Giants career. Elliot Ramos was a top hundred guy, and now they don't even want to use him as a as a as a platoon guy and put Wade Meckler above him. Marco Luciano was a player who was a top twenty prospect as a as a seventeen year old and talked about as a guy who could potentially be the best prospect in the game, and he's now being a little bit rushed to the majors and he's more of like a top 50 prospect. What concerns me is there's this consistent pattern of guys going a little bit backwards in their prospect yeah. career rather than forward. And that of all the guys who, all the hitters who came to the majors last year, none of them had a league average batting line. I mean, yep, that's the concern is they are starting to get this little trend line of not getting guys better and not getting guys over that last hurdle. It's a huge hurdle. You can never understate that, but you need to have a win. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's like graduating with a college degree in 2008. Seriously. It's, <laughs> it's like, you know, the, the giants now have this pool of kids who, you know, they did everything they could in the minors and they got to the majors and now there's no place for them to have a job and not because, there aren't jobs available. So the 2008 thing is not particularly relevant there, <laughs> but <laughs> they're just not good enough to get those jobs. So maybe it's like, uh, maybe it's like someone like me who went to Arizona state and you realize, ah, a sun devil degree is not going to get you a job in most places. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I spend quality time every year with an Arizona state, uh, uh, uh colleague of yours and he's doing well. <laughs> it's, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. I, I do have a, another one that just popped into my mind because we were talking about Joey Bart being the, the second overall pick in 2018. I had assumed, and I think you probably did when the Giants signed Tom Murphy, that Joey Bart would be on his way out the door quickly. There's no way that he's in Scottsdale with pitchers and catchers, right? They find a deal before that. Or is he still in the farm system unhappy with the possibility that, you know, the Giants are just going to use him during spring training and then say, good luck finding a job after this. I think they, I think they bring him to spring training. They go through spring training and see if Murphy and Bailey are healthy. And then they make a decision when the options force them to, um, you know, Tom Murphy's health history. Yeah. Tom Murphy can hit his health history is not great. So 
that would be my guess. You know, I have, I've asked around uh, some industry sources on kind of where Bart's trade value is right now. It's not, it's, it's, they're not going to get blown away by an offer from anybody. Probably no. teams that look to pick him up would be looking at him as a potential backup. Um, so they're not going to get a ton. If you're not going to get a ton, then you might as well play out the string, make sure nothing goes haywire in, in spring and make the decision when you have to make the decision. And then this one for you is Elliot Ramos out of options. No, Elliot has one more. Amazing. Elliot Ramos against all odds has one more option. I feel like I've, I've known the kid since he was 16 years old and he's still got more options. So <laughs> Elliot can be in the system one more year, but Joey's out, right? Joey's out. Uh, I, uh, conceivably they could, <laughs> they could DFA him. He could pass through waivers unclaimed and they oh. could out, outright him to Sacramento. I don't know that they would want to do that just because it sort of makes everybody miserable. Um, so short of a Murphy injury, it feels like he, and it really feels like he needs a fresh start. I'm sure the, the yeah. guy would do better somewhere else. Um, but, you know, Ramos has an option. That option's important. I mean, teams val- value options. So as long as he's got an option, he's he's uh, he's somebody who, who teams might be interested in. Um, Bart's value is getting pretty narrow at this point, I would say. I'd love to see Elliot Ramos show up to Scottsdale and just force his way onto the roster and force his way into the lineup. I, I You're supposed to check your your biases at the door. I can't do it with Elliot Ramos. I, I root for that guy. I root for him. I hope he succeeds, and I hope that he has a great spring training. If there's someone in your book, Roger, that you think could show up and has the potential to just you know, fight their way through to a job because these jobs exist. They're here. The Giants have wide open paths of a lot of positions. Who might that be? Um, I mean, I'm with you on Ramos. Um, there are a lot of guys on the pitching staff I'm excited about. Eric Miller seems to have a job, like, you know, laying there waiting for him. Uh, but, I, I, you know, it's Tyler Fitzgerald. I've, I'm I'm long on the Tyler Fitzgerald uh, bandwagon. Um, I, I think the world of him, I know how hard he, he'll work for the opportunity and I would love to see him seize that, uh, that utility role and, and, and make it work, you know, have some success yeah. in the year and, and stick that would, that would bring no end of, of joy to my heart. It, do you buy the Chris Taylor comparison? It's audacious. <laughs> and I, I, I had, I, I, you know, I, I, I've heard it before and I, you know, it's not just from Giants people I've heard it before. I, I have heard it from a scout, um, but I remember I had Jim Callis on my podcast once and I, I mentioned it and Jim said, well, I can tell you Chris Taylor never hit 220 in double A. And that's <laughs> absolutely true. Um, if he were to get there, it would be an incredible testament to the work he's put in. But, you know, Brandon Crawford had a career that no scout who ever watched him would have dared suggest he was going to have. Sometimes yeah. players are able to, you know, rise above their stars. Well said. Maybe on the next episode, we we go in on Crawford and Belt and their future plans. And even Madison Bumgarner, his future plans. But uh, <laughs> with, I, I would love that, that. I would love to re- revisit those guys. Exactly. With that, Roger, I think we've covered everything today. 
All right. I know when we come back next time, we'll have big news to talk about. I know it. It's inevitable. Anything (laughs) at this point registers as big news. Thanks to everyone for listening to this edition of the K-Rodge podcast. Thank you, Kerry.